Well, today is the final Sunday that we are going to talk about um, the series we've been doing, Putting uh, First Things First, which has been our attempt uh, as a church to begin 2015 by establishing some right priorities for ourselves. And these right priorities are designed to help us. They're not to restrict us. They're to help us put the most important things in life at the top of our priority list. Now, that says something. When I put the most important things at, on the top of my priority list, what I'm also doing is I'm giving myself permission to let some other things be pushed down the priority list. Who knows there's more things to do in life than you could ever get done, right? It's a reason why we prioritize, because there's a lot more that we would like to do probably, or we feel sometimes we ought to do, than we can do. And so what happens is we, make, we kind of prioritize our lives, not as law, but as guidelines, we put the most important things at the top, and that pushes some other things down, which then gives us the freedom to say, it's okay that I let that thing go. And I know some of us really wrestle with that. If you're kind of like me and you're this ought to kind of guy, you're a rule follower, that's what I am, I'm a rule follower. And, uh, and, and so when I, there's these things that have to get done, I'm like, but if I don't do them, who will do them? And sometimes God says, well, that's up to me, it's not up to you. So you do what you're supposed to do. And so we prioritize in things in life. So, so, so far we spent three weeks talking about what should be the things at the, at the top, you know, the things that make up the first slots of our priority list for 2015. And so I'm going to give you a little quiz. So we've said three so far. What are the three that we should have near the top of our priority list? Love God, love, love the lost, and love who? Yourself. Love yourself. We looked at that last week, what it meant to love yourself and and uh, I, I tell you, that was, that was maybe the ch- most challenging um, sermon out of the whole thing for me to, to, to create. Because it felt selfish until I really looked into it. And I said it wasn't selfish at all to do the right things. And so love God, love the lost. We had Mike Murray, a missionary, in here to talk about that after I introduced it. And then love yourself. Well, today we're going to look at the, the last one, the final one, the fourth one. Um, that's, that's found um, in the text that we've been using. We started with one text, and we've been drawing them all out of the same text. Um, And we've been looking at the book of Matthew, but what I want to do today, instead of reading out of Matthew's gospel, this week I want us to turn to the gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and look at this from Luke's gospel. And the reason being is Luke adds some some information, kind of expands on some things, and and one thing in particular, and that's what I want to talk about today. So turn your, your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 25. You there? Got your iPads all powered up, your phones zeroed in, and your Bibles open? All right, I was just talking to somebody recently who's planting a church. And he's he's an older gentleman, he's planting a church. And he said, man, I got mad at first because I'd be going through my sermon and people would be playing with their phones. He said, and then I realized their Bible was on their phone. I said, yeah, it took me a while to get over that one, too. I thought that they were checking Facebook, and uh, they're really looking for their Bible. So I give you enough time now to power up. Luke 10, verse 25. It says, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, and him is Jesus, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, 
He said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and he saw, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, who's a religious leader, um, also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, and pouring oil and wine on them, and he, he put him on his own beast, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii, which is money, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. So, Luke starts out by saying almost the exact same wording that Matthew said in the text we looked at to start our sermon the last three weeks. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But then Luke here goes on to expand on one part um, of, of that teaching, and it's the part that I want us to focus on today to understand what does it really mean to love your neighbors. And that's why he told the whole story of the Good Samaritan. You know, that's the, that's the final thing on the, on the top of the priority list, the four things. The final thing I want us to think about as we think about priorities for 2015 is prioritizing loving others. Or in this case, it says loving your neighbor. Loving others, loving your neighbors. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, and I hope we tend to be, that we are honest with ourselves and we were asked, and we're given a piece of paper, we're given a pencil, and say, write down for yourself what would be the things you would put, maybe the top four things that you would put on your priority list for the coming year, for 2015. Well, I'm not certain if we did that, and we collected them all, and I looked through, and I, and I made the top one, two, three, four. I'm not certain that something written on there would include loving our neighbors or loving others. I don't, I'm not sure it would be on there. But Jesus here, in the text we're looking at, speaking to his disciples because that's what he's speaking to always in the scripture. He's talking to those who say they want to follow him, um, says loving others should be right at the top of our list. Now, maybe we would include loving others. If by loving others or loving our neighbors, we meant this. Right on the top, this year I'm going to spend time loving on my, on my grandkids. Or this time I'm going to spend a lot of time loving on my, my children. Or this year I'm going to prioritize loving my spouse better than I have before. I'm going to, I'm going to prioritize loving my friends, those close to me, my church friends. I'm going, to really, I'm going to really love those people. Just maybe we would put that on the top of our priorities, in one of those top four. But Jesus does something different here. He calls his followers to something higher or something greater than the world around them. And he says, listen, I want you to prioritize loving your neighbors. And then he basically says this, and he says, and by the way, that's why he does a story, let me explain to you who your neighbors are. And he says, you know what, your neighbors are everyone, including people that you honestly don't like. 
You know, he says, yep, you got to love them also. See, that's why he told this story here that we call the story of the Good Samaritan. He was telling the crowd about right priorities. He said, what must I do to have eternal life? He's telling what's the most important things in your life that you must do. He's talking about right priorities. And this lawyer stands up and asks, how do I inherit eternal life? What should, basically saying this, what should my priorities be in order for me to get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, love God and love your neighbors. And so it says something. It says the lawyer, really knowing that there were all kinds of people that he really didn't love, you know, he wants to, what's it say? It says he wants to justify himself. And so he wants to narrow down those people that he thinks he ought to spend energy loving, which he's really probably thinking it's the people that I know I really love anyways. They're my friends and family. He says, hey, you know what? I, I love my grandkids. I love my kids. I love my friends at church. But Jesus explains what, that he's not right about that that when he's trying to justify himself, he's wrong, but that, that rather loving your neighbor or loving others is something so much bigger. So he tells him a story to explain it. So he says this. He says, well, here's, here's how I can explain to you who you ought to love. He says, there was this man, presumably a Jewish man from the context of the story, who is on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he's attacked by, by bandits. He's beaten, he's robbed, he's stripped of his clothes, and he's left to die. He's laying there naked and bleeding and broke on the side of the road. And then he says two different Jewish religious leaders come upon him. But they go to the other side of the road. They ignored his terrible situation and they walked on by. But Jesus says then a Samaritan man came along. And there's incredible significance in why he says this. He's trying to really shock them. He says, a Samaritan man, who as we know are the enemies of the Jews. And maybe in today's context it would make more sense because times change if he said this. And he's walking along, this Jewish man is beaten, and a Palestinian comes by. Because we understand the, the, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. He'd say, so two Israelis walk by, but then a Palestinian walks by, and he stops and renders service. Or maybe for us it could be something like this, that an American is laying in the gutter, beaten, and an Iranian, militant, radical Muslim man walks by when he comes along him. So he's trying to show that this is the the last guy in the world who should stop. And so he says this Samaritan man comes along, this enemy of the Jews, and this, this, this man that the Jews despised because they considered them traitors and half-breeds, the, the Samaritans claimed to be of the descent of Judaism, through the exiles, that they had been there, but the Jews says, you're not Jews at all. They claimed to be in right relationship with God. The Jews says, no, you're not. You're not one of us. So these people hated each other. Jesus picked them on purpose, this enemy of the Jews. And he says, so this enemy of the Jews, a Samaritan man, who's despised by the Jews, finds this Jewish man and cares for him. It says he takes him to an inn. He stays with him all night and it says he takes care of him. He pays two days wages for his care and promises to pay any other expenses when he returns. And then Jesus asked the lawyer a question after the story. He said, who proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer could answer the only way he could answer and says, well, the one who showed mercy 
And Jesus says, well, you know what? You go and do the same. What's Jesus trying to do here? He's trying to get us to understand that the life of a Christ follower is to be centered on loving. And that loving is to be expressed beyond just those in our little world, our friends and our family. He's trying to say loving is supposed to be a whole lot broader. He's saying that when you have the heart of Christ within you, that there is a priority to love everyone. What he's saying is that a real Christ follower, that they're really different than the world around them. Because this, their love extends farther. That's the part he's trying to, the point he's trying to make. Jesus is saying that real Christian love doesn't allow you to ignore the needs that are around us, the needs that we are made. That's what the religious leaders in the story did. But Jesus says real Christian love doesn't allow us to put blinders on and ignore the needs of people around us. You know, we see the priest and the Levite in the story who simply walked past the need of a hurting stranger. And he says, you know what? They were wrong. That the love of Christ wasn't found in them. Now, I can imagine if, if the priest and the Levite were interviewed, that they could have all kinds of good reasons why they didn't do it. They could do what the lawyer tried to do and justify themselves. But they would say, but you don't understand. I'm a priest. I'm in a hurry to go conduct a church service somewhere. Or the Levite could say, well, you know what? Um, I have enough problems of my own just caring for the people that I already know. Or they could say this, and one that we could maybe even use ourselves. We could say, well, those people deserve that. You know, we know all about those people. You know, for us it might be those people who live south of the county line. You know, in Milwaukee, those people. They deserve. Maybe they're just lazy anyways. And we could say things like that. But Jesus calls his followers to something so much higher. He calls us to do something that seems impossible, but it's not impossible when he dwells within us. He calls us to love all people. Now, Jesus wants us to really understand this point. So he deals with this exact same idea in another section of Scripture, one that I think even makes it clearer for us. So I want you to grab your Bibles and and turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. And I want to show you something from Matthew's Gospel that he talks about. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. Jesus is speaking here. Hey, by the way, do your iPads and your phones have red letters for the words of Christ? Do they? Okay. Just wondering. Because that's a lot of times it's red letter edition. I, you know, so um, mine does. Like, that's why I say, and Jesus is speaking here. Um, verse 43. You have heard that... Yeah, yeah, I'm technologically challenged. Don't worry. <laughs> now, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Now, that's what we're talking about, right? You've heard that it was said you should love your neighbor. But then it looks as though he said, you've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is ramping it up here a little bit. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son meaning the sun in the sky, to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous 
and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, some people get hung up on that word perfect. Perfect there, the original Greek word simply means you are to be spiritually mature. So you are to be spiritually mature as your Father is spiritually mature. Jesus is dealing with the exact same idea here that he was dealing with in Luke. What does it mean to prioritize loving your neighbor? But here he gives some insight into what the crowd that he was teaching on that day thought, and I think what we often think also, because I think our culture teaches it, I think all human culture teaches what they believe that day, and Jesus gives some insight into it. He says that they believe this, you should love your neighbors, and they go, yeah, 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 we should love our neighbors, meaning our friends and family, our kids and our grandkids, and the nice guy who lives next door, you know, but it's okay if you hate your enemies. He says that's what you guys believe, you've been taught. Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Isn't that what we really believe? If we're honest with ourselves, isn't that what we really believe? And I think I can make the point that is what we really believe. And I'm not pointing fingers. You know the old saying when you point fingers, three more are pointing back at you? I always tell you that. When I point a finger, three more are pointing back at me. So I'm, I'm saying I need to get this too. This only comes by the grace of God. But I think I can make a point here. Think about yourself and, and, and particularly your Christian friends for a moment, and think about what they post on social media. And think about this. How many of their posts or those things you forward blast our president or celebrate killing our perceived enemies? Oh, did you hear that this happened and they blew up all these Al-Qaeda guys? Celebrate that stuff. You know, blast, you know, the people who are involved in ISIS and the Taliban. Or criticize, openly criticize other people. Particularly politicians who are on the whatever side you happen to be on, they're on the other side. Or sports stars. How dare you drop that onside kick. You know the guy who, I don't even know his name, the guy who, you all know his name. You know he said multiple death threats? They want to kill him? Multiple death threats. He says police are guarding him because they think that somebody's going to kill him. So think about this for a moment. I want you to think about you. Let's not blame the world. You and your Christian friends, whether you create yourself or you forward, how many of our posts blast our president or his party, celebrate killing our enemies, criticize other people, especially politicians or sport figures. I bet you if we took those out of the posts, there wouldn't be much less other, left other than pictures of grandchildren and people holding fish. <laughs> That's what all be left, right? It's a big one. You know, if you want to say fishermen lie, well, you can't lie. On, well, you can do this, but they look bigger that way. You see, I can say this, and I'm saying, remember, one finger's out, three fingers are back. I often see a lot more hate than love expressed. Love your neighbors? Sure, we're all for that. But it's fine to hate our enemies. It's fine to celebrate when people are killed if they're on the other side. But friends, Jesus calls us 
to something infinitely higher. He calls us to something that can only be accomplished by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. He calls us to love everyone. Look at verse 44 says of that text we read. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that, I have so that underlined. He says, why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, he's saying this. He's not saying if you do this, you earn a right to be the son of a father in heaven. He's saying it this way. Act like your father. He's saying if you're a child of the father, act like your father. You know, he says the father, he says right here in the text, loves the good and the evil, loves the just and the unjust. And he says, guess what? If you're claiming to be kids of the king, then you should act like the king. So when you come to know Jesus, the Bible says you become a child of God. So loving like he loves is to be a family trait. You know, you can, we were talking about this the other day, saying, who did Josh look like the most? I said, people always say like me, but I say looks like Suzanne. We're talking about family traits. You know what, when they look at us, they ought to see a family trait. You know what the family trait is? We should love like the Father loves. Look what Jesus says in verses 46 and 47. He's trying to say, we should be different. 46. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Isn't it funny that in Jesus, lawyers and tax collectors are still bashed? <laughs> you know, they, were considered, they were considered, tax collectors they were considered crooks. They embezzled from their people. Um, they extorted extra money. They worked for the enemy. They worked for Rome. So do not even the tax collectors do the same? He's saying, if you do that, you're just being like, he's saying, like a rank sinner. Verse 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? He's saying the Gentiles, those people who are far from God. Because back then they didn't think a Gentile could be saved. You know, just loving those who love you. Remember, I, oh, I'm to prioritize loving my grandkids this year, but they love you back. Just loving those who love you is what all the world around us does. But Jesus is calling his followers to something higher. I'm not saying it's easy, but he's calling us something higher. He's calling us to love everyone. Now, I believe this. You may be sitting here right now and thinking this. Pastor Mark, you're crazy. What you're saying we should do is impossible. And you're Because th- you're thinking of it a little wrong. You're thinking of it this way. You're saying, I could never feel love towards someone I consider to be an enemy, or towards someone who has deeply hurt me. Matter of fact, I feel pain when I think about that person. Well, here's my answer. Jesus isn't asking us to feel love towards anyone because we can't control our feelings. He's asking us to act in love towards everyone. See, the Greek word here for love is the word agape. We've all heard that word many times talked about agape love. But I don't know if we understand it. This word agape does not refer to a feeling or an emotion. Agape love refers to an action. To love, according to agape, is to will the good of another. So love here does not entail emotions at all. It's not about this loving feeling that we equate love to um, or, or even liking a person. Rather, we will their good and demonstrate it 
in action. Loving our enemies would be impossible if we think it means I must feel love for that person. Now, I found this. As I begin to love my enemy by action, often the feelings follow. I do believe that's true. But Jesus isn't asking us to feel love at this moment. He's saying to act in love. And friends, think of it. Isn't that exactly what the Good Samaritan did? The story Jesus used to illustrate. We can be pretty certain that that Samaritan man didn't feel a lot of love towards a Jewish man who is his nation's enemy. But what did he do? He acted in love towards him. And Jesus said this. He said he showed the man mercy. Earlier said he felt that the man felt compassion. And so then he showed the man mercy. And then he says something that we can't get past. He's talking about the Samaritan man and a Jewish man. They're, they're enemies. And he shows mercy and he looks at you and me in the eye and he says, and now you go and do the same. So Jesus says, church, that's what God's calling us to. To act in love towards all people. And do you know why? Do you know why he's saying we should act in love? We already said we'll look like the Father, but there's, some, so there's another reason why he's acting, telling us to act in love towards all people. And I should say reasons. I think I can summarize them in two words. The two words are freedom and revelation. Those are the two reasons that we should love our neighbor, which is everybody. First, we act in love towards all people, including our enemies, because by doing that, we find freedom. Hate is a horrible thing. Hate's a horrible thing. Suzanne and I talk almost every day when she comes home from work. And you deal with the same thing, Lori. Suzanne gets cussed out all day long by hateful clients as a nurse. They call on the phone and they tell you what a rotten, no good people. You work out, walk out in the, in, the, in the reception area and they cuss you out and tell you how rotten you are. They don't even know you. Every single day. It's all day long almost. Right, Lori? All day long. Hate's a horrible thing. Suzanne always says to me, how hateful must these people be to walk up to a total stranger and just instantly just cuss me out every time they see me and don't even know me? See, hate's a horrible thing. It not only causes people to act in terrible ways towards others, but here's the deal, guys. Hate robs a person of the freedom and the joy that God intends for you to experience. God never created a world to have hate in it. But sin entered the world and it brought hate. And it brought consequences. It robs people of the freedom and joy in their, in their inner self that God intends for them to have. Hate causes you to be bound by angry feelings and resentment. And it's a miserable existence. But love sets us free. You let go of anger and offense which act like weights that hold you down when you say, I'm going to even love those people that are hard. I'm going to act in love towards them. Something happens inside of you and you let go. There's a freedom that happens. A life of love is so much more enjoyable than a life of hate. It's a miserable life to hold on to hate. It eats you alive. But love brings freedom and joy to your life. And friends, that's what God wants for you. That's what he wants for me. He wants us to experience freedom and, and joy in our lives because we're child, children of God. So why? Number one, freedom. Number two, the other word, 
revelation. When we love others, especially those who are our enemies, those who hurt us or fight against us, when we do that, we reveal the reality of Christ to them. You know why? Because only Christ can enable you and I to love like that. They go, there's something different about that guy. When we love instead of hate, we reveal how different Christ followers really are. Totally different than the status quo of the world around them. That shows that Jesus is really real in us. When we love, people see Jesus. He is revealed. He is real. Friends, it's legitimate revelation of God. See, God wants the world to see his love through you and me. And when we, uh, and when we love others, even those who are difficult to love, we are a revelation of the reality of Jesus to a world, to our church world and to a lost world that doesn't yet know Jesus. Does that make sense? So living in love isn't just a thing you grit your teeth and say, I'm going to do it because Jesus made me do it. Kind of like the kid's got to do his homework. Got to do my algebra, you know? No, God's saying, I want to set you free. I want you to enjoy your life, not be bound by love. Does your life any better because you hate ISIS? No, it's worse. It eats you up. We're dealing with some missionaries. Last Friday, I met with some missionaries who minister in that part of the world, and they were talking about it, and they were, and they were almost broken and said, those people are blind by, by a false religion and they're empty and they're hopeless. Can't we please bring them the gospel? And they said, and we face people in the church world who say, we'll just nuke them all. And they said, where's the love of Christ? Friends, we're supposed to be different. We don't say, well, they hate us, we hate them. Right, they hate us. They're, we know they're going to hate us. Jesus said it. If you walk with him, you'll have troubles in this world, he says. But you know what? We can overcome the world. You know, one of the ways we overcome the world is by being people of love. Now, I want to end our time together in a little different way than I think I ever have. I want you to watch with me a music video. But I want you to listen to the words. The words are going to be on the screen for all of you like me who can't ever understand the words of a song. And so the words are on the screen. I'm going to come back up when it's done. But I want you to, but I want you to just watch it for enjoy it. I want you to the great song, uh, Matthew, uh, Jason Gary, um, with, with every act of love. Jason Gray. Did I say Gary? Jason Gray, with every act of love. A lot of you know it. And I want you to listen to the words. Their theology is incredible in this song. A lot of musical artists, Jack Hayford told me this one time. He said, a lot of people who are musical artists are prophets. He believes the gift of the Father. They're prophetic. He said, even if they're not redeemed a lot of times, they don't know Christ, but they speak to the world. And a lot of times there's incredible messages and songs. So I want you to listen to this with me this morning. Sitting at the stoplight, you can't be bothered by the heart Written on the cardboard in her but when she looks him in the eye His heart is broken open wide And he feels the hand of God reach out through him As heaven touches earth 
theology in this song, isn't it? With every act of love, we bring the kingdom come. Every time we love, we establish the kingdom of God where we are because we're acting different than the kingdom of this world. We're imposing the kingdom of God in the world. And Jesus said he came to bring the kingdom, to advance the kingdom. When we act different than the world, we act in love. We literally establish the kingdom of God wherever we are. So at your workplace, when they're rotten and you love them instead of fighting back with them, you establish the kingdom of God everywhere you go. That rotten boss, that rotten client, that person who cuts you off in traffic, when you don't respond in kind and you act in love, every act of love, we bring the kingdom come. We establish the kingdom of God. And I love this line. It's the whole reason I wanted this song, because of this one line. God put a million, million doors in this world for his love to walk through, and one of those doors is you. He wants us to be people of love, and he brought a million, million, a billion doors into this world for his love to walk through, and one of those doors is you. What an incredibly beautiful image. If you think of the fact, when you walk out of here today, you walk into your workaday world. This is a refuge. You come to church. It's a refuge. You walk out into the real world this afternoon or tomorrow morning. You are a door of love for the, for the, a door for the love of Christ to walk into a rotten world. What a beautiful image. So church, let's love as Jesus loves. Let's be doors of his love this year. Right there at the top of our priority list this year. I want to love my neighbor as myself. And I understand what that neighbor is. It's everyone. Even those who are rotten to me. Even those who hate me. Let's let go of hate by the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's be people that look like our Father. We love as He loves. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Join me in prayer. 
Jesus, I think that this message is just as challenging and revolutionary to us today as it was over 2,000 years ago when you spoke it on that, uh, in that um, place um, in the Holy Land, when you said, let me show you what life is really like, what love is really like. And you spoke to a group of people and you said, you have heard that it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And then you said, but that's not right. Let me explain what real love is. Well, Father, we're just as confronted by that truth today as that lawyer was on that day. And I say this, on the behalf of every person in this place, lead us into transformation. Make me different. God, I think the thing that, that's, that just stirred this up inside of me these last couple of weeks is, I looked at a post on Facebook of somebody celebrating the killing of an enemy. Celebrating that was the longest shot ever made. And my heart was broken. And I thought, how could we ever celebrate somebody being killed? Even an enemy. And so, Father, it stirred up in me something that says... You want us to be different. You want me to be different. And so, Lord, I ask today that by the presence of your Spirit, you just begin to breathe this truth into our hearts. And we begin to just say, God, I, I want to let go of hate. Maybe we didn't even know we had it. But maybe today is something stirred saying, yeah, I really do. I don't will the best for a lot of people. Matter of fact, I, I hope for their worst. So, Father, today, we can't, maybe we can't change the whole world, but we can change our world. And so today, Lord, I pray, as we prioritize loving our neighbors as ourselves, God, when we see real, real revelation of that in our lives, which means you're going to put some people in our paths that are hard to love, and we're going to be shocked at ourselves because... We're not going to want to act as we have in the past. We're going, to to, we're going to respond to anger with love, resentment with forgiveness, and we're going to look like our Father. I know that's your will. So Holy Spirit, I pray, breathe that into us right now, and we want to cooperate with you. We want to cooperate, allowing you to bring transformation into our lives, because you don't impose anything on us. You just make things available. You lead us and we cooperate. We walk with you and we, we're willing to change. So bring that transformation into our lives today. Start today. God, we know it's a process. It won't happen if one day it be done. It's a lifelong process. So today, God, help us to love as you love. We thank you.